how much rest do you want per week slash month? Question mark. Like during the season, well, I didn't really need to say question mark, did I? Did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I don't feel like cutting and doing this again. Just roll with it. Okay. Man. I don't. <laughs> As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. And as always, if you folks have you know seven or eight figures worth of investable wealth, um, these are the guys that you want in your corner. These are honest, ethical professionals who can help you at every step along the way. Uh, they're the allies that you need on your side. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. So I, I wonder, how is it that you were able to convince a bunch of teenagers to wake up at like 4 a.m. before school, go and climb to the top of a mountain in the dark, and then go down and pack their lunch and go sit in math class? Well, first of all, I had nothing to do with convincing anybody to do that because whenever I plan a, a hike, it's extremely unpopular. Um, yeah, that was a Carly Webb thing. But um, yeah, for Helena's birthday, we met at 4 a.m., climbed Granger Peak, and then we're down in time for school. And I've been sore the entire week since then. But It's just wild to me that like you could get people to do that. I, I probably wouldn't do that right now. Like, do you know what? It was so much fun though. And you know, I got thinking about it for those. Cause I've heard some kids that just, you know, they need to take a break from the bike. They need to do some cross training. Running's not their thing. My goodness. Steep hikes is just an awesome, awesome way to get a lot of fitness fast. I I'd have to second that. Yeah. I think it's way, way funner than running. And it seems to be, a pretty similar workout, like a really steep hike it, where you're pushing It translates yourself. really, really well to the bike. To the mountain bike in particular, I'd imagine. Well, to any bike, yeah. It's, it, it's yeah, steep hikes are awesome, awesome, awesome cross-training during the winter, so. Because we, we, we had a question along those lines this week about, about like, how to approach winter if, like, the, we're detraining too much. Do you want to hit that really Yeah, quick? it was a great question, and it was, it was actually Helena that asked the question, the birthday girl. Um, she said, hi, quick question. I'm trying to figure out my winter training. I've detrained for way too long already. And I think that's kind of funny cause she did like frog hollow. She's doing the running group. She, uh, climbed. I think the, as a rule of thumb, if you're worried that you've detrained too much, you probably haven't. She, yeah. The people who have detrained, detrained too much probably couldn't tell you what the word detrained means. They probably don't even care or think about it. Right. But yeah. I think, I think, oh, yeah. I think Helene is good. So, probably, probably fine. Um, wouldn't lose too much sleep. But she asked a really, really good question um, that I probably should have addressed in some of our previous podcasts about winter training and so forth, but I, I didn't. And she said, 
Hi, quick question. I'm trying to figure out my winter training. I've already detrained for way too long already, which she really hasn't. She's yeah, probably. I think I think if you're concerned that you've detrained too much, you almost certainly haven't. Yeah, I know she's doing the running group. She did Frog Hollow. She climbed a mountain earlier. Like a this lot week. of folks just have not detrained almost at all. It seems yeah, so. It's, but I think carry she's, on. she's gonna on. be fine. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, our question is. How much rest do you want per week slash month? Like during the season, we have a rest day week. Should winter training be intense enough to need that kind of break? That is such a good question. Isn't that a good question? Because during the summer, we say like, absolutely. We've, we've harped on that so much. Like you need rest, 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 rest. Can I, can I guess? Yeah. What's your guess? My guess is no. Certainly for me, I'd say no. I don't think I'm able to do enough training. And I think for most people, I'd say no. But what, what would you say? I would say absolutely yes. Okay. And let me qualify that. So your, your goal with training really is to work hard enough that you need recovery. Because that's when you actually do get faster. So my hope is that everyone is training consistently and hard enough this winter that they actually do need recovery. Okay. But so that's in the perfect world. Do you think for a, there are a, more people will like be able to skip rest weeks during the winter than they do during the summer? Cause I, th I know there are a lot of us that struggle to train enough during the winter to need rest weeks. Do you think, cause I'd say there's very few people who don't need rest weeks during the summer. There, there've got to be more people who, who don't really need the rest weeks during the winter. Right. Unfortunately, yes, but I, I do think that your training during the winter should be, I mean, you, sh you should have planned rest weeks into your winter training. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and I do think that like, you know, her, her question too is about intensity, you know, and um, I've, I've urged people during the winter to not do a lot of high intensity training on the bike. Whoops. But if, if you're new to running, that's going to be pretty high intensity no matter how you run. It takes a long time to be able to run easy, to do an easy run. Um, you know, and, and I think as, as long as you're doing like other sports and other activities, it can be high intensity. Yeah. Um, Basically just not, don't make your whole winter high intensity on the bike is, is the essential point. Yeah. Right? I think, I think the bike's an easy place to get a little bit of volume and, and, and base aerobic fitness. Um, but yeah, I do think that you should you should really try to do enough consistent training that you do need to plan in an an easy week once a month and and take a couple of days off a week, you know, have train for 5 days and have 2 days either off or easy. So, yeah. <clears throat> can I ask a really quick follow-up because you just said 5 days on, 2 days off essentially. Can you do can you sprinkle those two days in between or do you think it's better to get a longer block of rest? Oh, I think those are sprinkled in between. You, you know, wouldn't or, do five on two or, or whatever works best for your schedule. You know, okay. usually, usually I have like, like during a normal week, I'll have like a recovery day and then an off day where okay. an off day, you don't do any training really. So essentially the answer to the question is, uh, hopefully yes. Hopefully you need rest weeks during the winter. Yeah, hopefully yes. But like if, good... if you're older, listen to this and it's in, and you got work and school or whatever else and you're not training as much. Even still, I think it's always a good idea to err on the side of probably resting, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I'd never, I'd never come out publicly and tell people not to rest. That just seems politically risky. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Um, we'll do the quiz really quick and then we'll jump into, we have, 
we have two topics today. I will be talking about uh, drop bar bikes, difference between cyclocross bikes, gravel bikes. Lots of people have hit me up asking, you know, uh, what their kind of second bike's going to be. And then uh, Dan's going to be chatting a little bit about burnout, which is actually kind of interesting. I, I don't, I can't believe I haven't really done an episode on this yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, hopefully all the things we talk about will, will help prevent it ultimately, but we haven't specifically done I think, an I episode think, on yeah, it. Something. But before that, Dan, it's, it's time for your, your weekly, uh, you know, dose ah, of humiliation. Yeah, time to look dumb. Time to look dumb, Dan. Uh, I will be quits. This theme is uh, people in the bike world. There, these are three people. I think a lot of folks will know. I think you should know. Hopefully, at least one of them. Um, and I'll give you a hint. And I'm, I'm going to hope that um, you know. I'll, I'll give you hints as needed. But I, I hope you can get at least one of these. Um, the first one. Uh, this is one I, I think you'll probably get. Uh, this Dutch former Olympian was one of the two primary commentators on XC World Cups for the last 10 years. Okay. It was Rob Warner was his yes. sidekick. No, this and guy was kind of the sidekick to Rob Warner, I think. Okay, that's right. It, it's like Bart Brenchlick. Yep. So close. Bart Brenchens. Brenchens, okay. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have to say really quick on this, we are losing the two of them. Next I know year. that's sad because, like, and if you're not familiar, uh, Red Bull has very graciously hosted, um, uh, cross country world cups online for free for since I think 2013 was when they started doing it. I think it was a 10 year contract and that has run out. I believe discovery will be hosting them now, um, online. And then I, I think you will have to pay for discovery service to be able to watch. So does it have to be like Discovery Plus? It's or probably something? their plus stupid subscription service or whatever, which sucks because like it used to be that just anybody could watch those for free, and now that is not the case, to my understanding. I might be wrong, um, and I guess the two of them supposedly will not be doing commentary anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. It's so we'll just need bummer. to find out who has Discovery Plus and have some World Cup parties at their house. Actually, yeah, like we should we should all just like share passwords despite Discovery. Um, but yeah, kind of a bummer. Hmm. Barb Brenchens was good though. I always loved his he, his commentary was was interesting because he was a big he. I think he I think he was the first Olympic champion. I want to say I think I'm right in saying that. You're looking at me like I, yeah, as yeah. if you'd know. Okay, uh, another Dutch writer for the second one here. Uh, this writer is frequently considered to be the greatest female cyclist of all time, having won 13 rainbow jerseys across three disciplines and two Olympic medals. She is known as the Cannibal, which is a reference to Eddie Merckx's nickname. This is a rider who is currently active, mostly racing on the road, but I think people will will primarily know her from her cyclocross career about 10 years ago. And she's Dutch? She's Dutch, yeah. Current women's road world champion too, by the way. I think I'm right in saying. Her last name is three letters, starts with a V. Oh, is it Juliana Vos or Voss? Close. It's Voss. It's Mariana Voss. Mariana yeah. Voss. Mariana okay, Voss. It rhymed. Yeah, you close, right? And they say Voss is Voss. And and to reference her as the cannibal is as as big as a compliment gets in cycling. And that nickname, the cannibal, comes from Eddie Merckx because he was the only one that could break his own records. And so they would also talk about him cannibalizing his own records. And Mariana Voss has kind of done that. I would put her. I think it would be hard to argue whether she or Rachel Atherton is better because Mariana Voss hasn't done a ton in the mountain bike world. She's mostly been cyclocross road and track. Rachel Atherton has been by far the most dominant in downhill mountain bike. So you'd kind of be hard pressed. I like Rachel Atherton has won more things probably. 
Well, I don't even know hmm. if that's true. But yeah, Marietta Voss, that's a name you should absolutely absolutely. Yeah, that know. is a good name to know. That is a good one to know. Uh, final one here. This American downhill rider won a World Cup in Leogang, Austria without a chain. Oh. Do you remember this? Yes. Is it Aaron Gwynn? Aaron Gwynn, right. Okay. Yeah. So this was amazing. You should, I, I want to say it was yeah, everyone should know that. 2017, That's... right out of the start gate, snapped his chain. And you, you think, oh, it's downhill. You don't have to pedal. You have to pedal in downhill if you want to win. Um, his handling skills were so good that this guy beat everybody else when they could pedal. I think he broke his chain on purpose as part of the show. As like a marketing thing? Yeah. Yeah. In, insane though go back and watch it just look up Aaron Gwynn without a chain it was like the coolest run ever um, yeah, hey you did pretty good I think I'll give you 2.5 out of 3 oh wow because I had to, you you knew who the people were you could probably even think of their face you you didn't get the names quite right but you you knew them right they, they were all definitely familiar to me at least okay so. All right. Well, well, well done, Dan. Uh, as always, send me quiz questions if you'd like to hear Dan answer anything in particular. Oh, and also, let's just mention, too, we love it when people send us questions. Yes. Like Helena did. That was yes. awesome. Um, a lot of the topics we've gone over were kind of inspired by a question somebody asks. So, Like, there's a good chance if you ask a really interesting question, you could get a whole episode on it. Yeah. So, yeah, always always be sure to send those in. Anyway, we'll, we'll jump right into the meat and potatoes now. Um, I get asked all the time um hey joe i have a little bit of money i want a second bike and it'll be it's usually a nika kid or like a parent who, who mostly rides the mountain bike or something and they, they want to get that drop bar bike because they want to do some road or some gravel or some cross or all three um and it's always really tricky because there are so many different um like options out there uh you know like if you're not familiar with the kind of different terms you know, like road bikes your standard like people are familiar with road bikes but you also have like cyclocross bikes i'll explain that in a little bit and then you've got gravel bikes and like could you actually i'm curious like what could you give me like the the basic difference between a cyclocross bike and a gravel bike off the top of your head yeah <clears throat> excuse me i think i can um i would say that i think the gravel bikes are a little longer and they have wider tires and a lower bottom bracket and probably more likely to have bottle cages on them yeah, that's and, it's roughly like, but it's, it's tricky because like, like the term gravel bike could mean so many different things. Because mm -hmm, there's know. like the bike packing gravel bikes and then the... Right, like you have on one hand, you've got like the Cervelo Aspero or like the Pinarello, Pinarello Gravel or the Factor Ostro Gravel that are like basically aero bikes with wider tires. Yeah, I was just going to ask like, what's the difference between like, like a road bike with wide tires and a gravel bike? Like nothing. Like a lot of gravel, but then there, there are a lot of gravel bikes like the evil chamois Hagar, which are like rigid hardtails with drop bars, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I thought it would be worth diving into this. And, and as a little bit of history to kind of clear stuff up, um, there used to be a time where you could draw a pretty clear line between gravel bikes and cyclocross bikes. In fact, there used to be a time when like quote unquote gravel bikes were really just like modified cyclocross bikes or modified mountain bikes. Um, both of these terms are still relatively crowded, uh, like cloudy, but I, I think that there are some useful distinctions that we can draw here. Um, as a quick review, if you're not familiar, uh, cyclocross is, is a discipline of cycling that's really weird. Like, I always love when I try to explain cyclocross to people because road races are pretty easy to understand and mountain bike races are pretty easy to understand. But when you say cyclocross, it's like, okay, so you're in a field and it's usually in the winter and it might be kind of muddy and you'll ride on grass and then sometimes you have to get off your bike and carry it over barriers or upstairs and you have to ride through sand like like what, what was it you said cyclocross is like the weirdest coolest sport ever 
I didn't say that, but it's that's a good Who way. Was that? Yeah. It, you know, like cyclocross is super cool and has a super cool vibe, and it and it's something that like I I think like internationally could grow really really well because like mountain biking you kind of have to have mountains to be able to do it. Yeah. And cyclocross, you could kind of do it in like farmers' fields, a farmers' and, field, or the, an elementary school playground, you know, yeah. like like or like, um, yeah. So it, it's it is an interesting kind of, um, and if you don't know what it is, go watch it on YouTube just to kind of get an idea. Um, but cyclocross has been around forever. So actually, cyclocross has been around since at least like 1900. Um, people argue it goes back farther than that, um, but cyclocross bikes kind of started out as just like people would do cyclocross races like during the winter when the roads were bad they'd ride through a farmer's field in belgium or northern france or something on their normal road bikes and over time you kind of developed these bikes that could take a slightly wider tire and had a, a slightly different style of brake that handled mud and stuff better and over time as we got closer to the modern era you had these um you know these very specific race machines that had really high bottom brackets so like if you could imagine your cranks were higher off the ground so if you're going to go jump over something or make a really tight corner you could do that a little easier and you know they might they were a little slacker than road bikes and stuff and and cyclocross bikes like that have been around since oh gosh i mean you could argue as far back as the 70s or 80s you know um but then about 10 years ago um, this kind of gravel movement started you know because people were kind of disillusioned with road racing the lance armstrong thing had just happened and a lot of people when it's easier to organize a gravel race in our cycle exactly right like it's race. like here in the u.s people don't want it cities don't want to close down roads and stuff road races are hard to do and then a lot of people live in areas where there's not good mountain biking right you know like not everybody lives in utah or colorado or california or even up in these parts of the east coast where there there's this good mountain biking right but is there good gravel riding here so that is a fascinating question i would say there's good gravel riding in utah but it's kind of mountain biking you know, like a lot of the gravel stuff that you do here, the gravel bike that is ideal for it is really just a mountain bike with drop bars. But like out in Kansas, you know, there are passionate cyclists who live out in Kansas or Iowa that want to ride bikes, but like there's not like a, a ton of amazing single track out there, but people are getting sick of getting hit by cars and having to compete with cars on the road and road racing wasn't as big. It kind of had this drop off where in 2010 or whatever, Lance Armstrong came out and said he cheated and everyone's like, oh, okay, well, we don't like road racing anymore. There's no Americans that do it. We don't want to do this. And so you start having these gravel races crop up. Like it was what was the race formerly known as Dirty Kanza, right out in, out in Kansas where there's not a ton of great mountain biking and stuff. Get out on, on dirt roads and go explore and everything, right? Um, and, and cyclocross bikes kind of became an attractive option for this crowd because most road bikes at the time ran 23 to 25 millimeter tires. But the cyclocross bikes that existed could take 33s or maybe even 35s, right? <clears throat> um, and when you go with these wider tires, you can run lower pressure so you get better grip and they're more compliant, right? So for a long time, the first few years of Dirty Kanza, you had people winning it on cyclocross bikes, right? Um, or even modified mountain bikes. But then over time, the bike industry realized that this is a, a, a niche that was going to grow and that they could sell you a whole new bike, right? And people kind of like sarcastically say that like gravel bikes are just modified mountain bikes so that you don't really need them. But I, I genuinely think they're kind of brilliant for most people. Um, you know, and these, these newer gravel bikes at the time, you know, they could clear like a 40 millimeter tire, which seemed huge at the time. You know, they had maybe like four sets of bottle mounts because maybe people wanted to do bike packing or, or do like a really crazy long day and carry a bunch of stuff on it. And, and they also realized that 
part of the problem with riding a cyclocross bike is that the bottom bracket was too high for normal riding. And you actually, you rode my cyclocross bike at a couple of our centuries um, uh, early in the year. And you could tell that like with that high bottom bracket and kind of weird angles. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it's like super squirrely when you go fast. It doesn't and, feel good on the road. Yeah. So like, and people, always, I'm like, you can absolutely ride a cyclocross bike on the road. 100%. It just doesn't feel very good, right? It's designed for very specifically for cyclocross racing, right? So these gravel bikes, like I said, they're kind of like modified road bikes. In a lot of ways, they're, they're the road bikes that people should be riding. Like in my time in the industry, there were so many people who like didn't race and they weren't competitive and they'd buy a pure like racing road bike. They'd buy a Pinarello Dogma or something and then ride it off road sometimes. I was like, I think most people even if you're racing, a gravel bike might be more appropriate, right? Um, I own a pure road bike um, right now because I, I really like the way it handles and stuff like that, and I ride it mostly on the road. But I think for most people, these gravel bikes really make sense, right? Um, you know, so after after years of kind of pushing cyclocross bikes as the all-purpose bike, you know, Santa Cruz came out with a Stigmata in like 2015, and they were like, yeah, this is it's a cyclocross bike, but you can use it for everything, right? I remember the Santa Cruz engineers came in four or five years later and they were like, you know, we realized that this should be a gravel bike that can do cross because cyclocross for as popular as, as it is, you know, I was a cross race yesterday and lots of people go to them. Not that many people do them. And the bikes that are specifically designed for them are kind of like maybe 25% of people at cross races have specific cross bikes. So you'd say gravel racing is a bigger deal than cross racing. 100,000%. Yes. Hmm. Um, not here in Utah, we have an amazing guy who puts on awesome cyclocross races and we don't have a ton of great gravel roads. So if you're here in Utah, cyclocross might seem to be equal to gravel or maybe even more on a, on a broader level. Gravel is 1000% a bigger, bigger deal than cyclocross. Um, can I ask just a couple of questions that I think a lot of people yes, are that's, wondering? That's why you're here, Dan. Okay. So first question is. Can you do a can you do a cyclocross race on a mountain bike? Yes, yes, you can. Um, most of the courses will be much slower on a mountain bike. Mountain bikes are slow on the grass. You know, mm -hmm. uh, mountain bikes are funny enough. They're kind of they're even kind of slow on sand sometimes, depending on the conditions. Um, like the race yesterday, Wheeler Farm would be a great one for a mountain bike, but the majority you'll be slower. Mm -hmm. But if you're just out there to do it and have fun and, and stuff like that, hundred percent. To kind of scratch bike. a competitive itch. And exactly right. You don't need a cyclocross or a gravel okay. bike or whatever to do that. And so then, I mean, obviously this is kind of a rhetorical question, but yes, can you do a cyclocross race on a gravel bike? And then can you do a uh, gravel race on a cyclocross yeah. bike? Right. So I'll, I'll handle those two situations separately. Um, a cyclocross race on a gravel bike will be fine. There will be times when the lower bottom bracket is a pain because you like you'll have really really tight corners in a cyclocross race, like you'll have to make a, a low speed turn that's 180 degrees that you're gonna have to pedal through. You'll have more pedal strikes, right? When you go, it'll be much harder to hop a barrier mm. on a gravel bike because you don't have as much clearance. So basically, in a in a cyclocross bike, you can pedal around the corners better. You can pedal around a really steep corner better. And then uh, a lot of times, and this isn't the case so much anymore, but it used to be that cyclocross bikes would be a little slacker in the front end than a gravel bike because Wait, you'd have a cyclocross bike. would yes. be Slacker than a gravel bike. Yeah. Yeah. The, it used to be this way. It's not this way so much anymore. I thought it, yeah. I thought it would be like with the chamois Hagar jr or whatever that. So yeah. So that, and even other bikes kind of people have kind of like learned they want to ride mm. single track in their gravel bikes. So they're getting slacker, but it used to be that like, 
gravel bikes were really were really just road bikes with wider clearance, right? So on a cyclocross race like yesterday, there were a couple sections where there's like a very brief 25 or 30% drop, right? Well, not a drop, like you're not like airborne, but like really steep little bits or, um, you know, other where like a, a slacker head tube angle makes sense. So th there will occasionally be things where it doesn't feel great on a gravel bike, but it'll be fine essentially for cross. What about like... To me, it seems like it would be easier if a cyclocross bike had flat bars. Like, are the the curvy bars an advantage, or is that more of a tradition thing? Both. I'd say it's an advantage because, like, if everybody had wide bars, it would make the starts a little sketchy. Um, you know, because usually you're dealing with like a, a more restricted space than in a mountain bike race. Um, but it's it's mostly tradition. It does kind of make sense to do flat bars on a cyclocross bike. And a lot of people who do like single speed cross will just do that. Um, but in the spirit of tradition, you know, I think, I think, you know, the vast majority of cyclocross bikes will have, will have drop bars. But it is kind of a good point, you know, like, like drop bars like make sense for the If you're racing road, in like the highest, like the higher divisions, they probably don't allow flat bars. Do not in like a UCI sanctioned race. I mean, there are guys who will do the A race at a Utah cyclocross or at P town on a mountain bike or whatever, but like you can't in a pro race. Yeah. And you like, your tires have to be within a your tires have to be 30. So it's, it's 33s and they actually have to measure out at 33 millimeters to do, um, USAC or UCI sanctioned cross, I believe. So 33 is the, uh, cyclocross standard. Now, of course in a local race, you can do whatever you want, but, um, to flip it, doing a cyclocross bike at a gravel race, I think would be more difficult for a couple of reasons. Um, first is that the tire clearance is generally more restricted. So like I have a Ridley X Knight, which is the definitive traditional cyclocross bike, and it can only clear up to about a 35 and it only has one bottle cage. And I was, I was telling somebody yesterday, like if you watch world cup cyclocross, you don't, you take the bottle cage off your bike so that you can mm -hmm. shoulder it easier. Right. Um, you know, there are bikes like even the old specialized crux bikes could take up to a 40 millimeter tire. So not, there are some cyclocross bikes that would be fine in, in a gravel race. But like, if you're mostly planning on doing gravel, um, probably shop more towards the gravel side of things because you have the option to do much wider tires. Um, so what, <clears throat> excuse me, what's the disadvantage of using a hard tail mountain bike with narrow tires at a gravel race? I'd say like on longer stuff, drop bars are more comfortable would be primary. And then also like aerodynamics, it's harder to get low with a flat bar. And it's nice to kind of have the ability to change your hand position a little bit on, on the drop bar as well. Um, there are people who do very long rides and stuff on, on mountain bikes with a flat bar, but you do a flat bar because it gives you more control over the bike, right? Mm -hmm. You do a drop bar because it's much more comfortable. And if you, like for me, I can, I can ride my road bike much longer than I ride my mountain bike without becoming fatigued okay. um, because I don't have to spread them out as far. Um, so like, can you do a gravel race on a cyclocross bike or a mountain bike? Yes. They're just not ideal. The, and the cyclocross bike, mostly because an older traditional cyclocross bike will only be able to clear like a 35, which especially for Utah gravel is not adequate. And then a mountain bike, if you put the right tires on it, it would roll about as fast, but you know, I, I just don't think that'd be very comfortable for like six hours. So you'd say for most people, if they had a little extra money, they got a right. Christmas bonus and they wanted to get another bike, they should probably get a gravel bike, right? Yeah, so. Or a fat bike. I thought about, I thought really hard, not a fat bike. I thought really hard about this. I think if you have over $2,000 to spend, 
go gravel. If you have under uh, $2,000 to spend, you are not going to be able to find a very light gravel bike. Gravel bikes are newer. Um, most of the gravel bikes you're going to be able to get for the kind of $2,000 mark, even used, are going to be like pretty heavy aluminum. You know, if, if you're like a Nike kid listening to this and you're like, I have a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks to spend on a bike. I am suspicious that you will have more luck finding an older carbon cyclocross bike. And even though the clearances won't be as wide and the handling won't be as nice for on-road riding, I think it'll be a better deal overall. What I wouldn't encourage anybody to do is go and buy a cheap gravel bike that weighs 23 pounds. Cause at that point, just ride your mountain bike. And there are a lot of companies like, I guess we can name check them. Like, um, like Trek, um, makes a bike called the checkpoint that is extremely popular and extremely heavy. Um, if you're out in Kansas or in the Midwest or something, it's, I know it, I've heard it's very smooth. They have all kinds of cool suspension technology and stuff. It can run a really wide tire and whatever for, for some applications. Fine. We live in Utah. Um, if you want to do gravel racing here, all of the gravel racing is extremely climby and weight sensitive. Um, I would strongly encourage you to consider weight and if you have a 22 pound mountain bike, don't go buy a 22 pound gravel bike. I think that's probably a waste. Now, if you're a dad listening to this or a mom who just got their big year end bonus from work and you want to spend $10,000, absolutely do a gravel bike. And I would even say maybe do a gravel bike over a road bike because very few people actually race road bikes. Most of us want a road bike as like a tool to do different kinds of bike rides. Gravel bikes will be great on the road. They'll mm -hmm. be fine. Like if you're me, like... And I'm, I'm really, really into the way that my road bike handles. Gravel bikes don't feel quite as good on the road as a pure road bike does. They might be slightly heavier, but for the most part, if you have some money to spend, gravel bike all the way. Because like, there are very few people. Like, I think Jamerson's the only guy on the team who consistently does a ton of cross. Like Jamerson, you could make an argument for a cyclocross bike over a gravel bike. Anyone else, I would just, I would probably just do a, a gravel bike. And, and honestly even the cyclocross bikes out there today, like the specialized crux is a gravel bike now mm -hmm. that can do cross, you know, Ridley still makes the X Knight, which is a pure cross bike. Um, Trek still makes the boon, but even the boon can take up to like a 40, I want to say on the new one. So even pure cyclocross bikes these days are designed with gravel in mind. Um, you're not going to see a whole lot of new cyclocross bikes that are just for cyclocross racing. Like the Canyon grail is one Ridley X Knight. Cervelo R5CX, but I don't even think anybody can get those. Like for the most part, gravel bikes are kind of turning into truly their own thing. And then like cyclocross bikes are like, you can do some light gravel or cyclocross racing. Okay. But if you're shopping older ones, older cyclocross bikes and gravel bikes will be distinctly or different. too specific. Yeah. If that makes any sense. So yeah. if you have questions about drop bar bikes, if you want to buy one, hit me up. I'd be happy to chat, but those are kind of my, my basic starting points for people. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so Dan, uh, let's talk burnout. Okay, so, you know, so burnout, I think it's something a lot of kids are concerned about. I think there, it's had a lot of attention lately. Um, I think it's something that... It's a word that gets chucked around a lot. People always talk about burnout as part of, like, almost interchangeably with, like, overtraining and stuff. You know, it's it's thrown around maybe more casually than it should be, would you say? You know, I think so, and... And there's definitely a distinction to be made between burnout and overtraining. Um, overtraining is is more of a physical thing that deals with like you know you just haven't recovered enough. Your your recovery 
is insufficient for the amount of training. Like you can measure physiological and chemical things to indicate overtraining burnouts more burnouts, burnouts more, um, you know, more a mental thing, you know, whereas overtraining is more physical, but they are still related because often they they happen at the same time. Overtraining will lead to, to mental burnout. But yeah, but yeah. So, so I just, and today I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what it is and and then I want just wanted to go over some things that we can do to avoid it and because you know with with Maybird really our, our biggest concern is that we really want to develop athletes that are the best that they could possibly be and and lifetime athletes and yeah. and, and that, that they would become lifetime athletes this is not a high school sport to us no um, I, I think that the, their high school experience is just your introduction is the, is the prologue of is the introduction career, to cycling. So. And then, you know, and then we, we just hope you're doing it in your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, and hopefully seventies, you know, I mean, and you know, so, so I think it's important to understand some of these principles and, you know, and, and it's something that at some point you're going to deal with it to some extent or, or another, you know, and, and, and that's the thing with, with burnout is, um, I think a lot of times people might kind of confuse like boredom with burnout. Um, but what I actually consider burnout is, is quite severe mm-hmm. and, and I don't think can really happen to everybody. Um, you know, like if you're, let me give you a hypothetical and you tell me which it is. So okay. you have, you have Bobby Niker rider and Bobby Niker rider goes to two Niker rides a week, does the Niker races. He's done it for three or four years stops kind of showing up to practice. He shows up once a week, then twice a month, then once a month, doesn't really want to do the racing, has another sport he likes more. Is that burnout? That's not burnout. That's so if that parent was like, Oh yeah, Bobby kind of burned out. That's that would, that would technically be incorrect. That's kind of like the saying goes, you know, you really have to catch fire before you can burn out. And and that's someone that just never really got into it enough. You know, never really experienced some of the awesome rewards from the sport, never really fell in love with it. Um, and in fact, I would say most Nike riders are going to fall into that category. Cause I mean, let's face it. Most kids that ride Nike after their, their, their state championship race will probably be their last race they ever do until they're 40 or something. If hopefully, right. Yeah. Haven't, hasn't been a long run around long enough. Long to enough to know that, sure. But but yeah, most, most kids really, you know, they, they don't continue to race after that point. So let me give you another hypothetical. Let's do a uh, Susie Nike kid. And Susie Nike kid um, starts riding when she is five years old and in her first year of junior Devo sweeps advanced, bumps up to regular Nike early. I don't know if you can do that, but just bear with me here. Wins freshman, every single freshman race, bumps up to varsity and as a sophomore wins every single varsity race. And then uh, when she's a junior, doesn't win her first race, doesn't win her second race, wins her third starts having some mental health issues, rides 50 hours a week, starts to burn out a little bit. You know, is that, is that, would that, oh, would that be burnout? Yeah, absolutely. Is that yeah. the kind of like, I was kind of trying to tap into some slight like yeah. stereotypes, like the kid who wins a bunch of stuff and then stops winning or the kid who has some other mental health problem come up and then, and then cycling's not as rewarding as it used to be. Or there's some other problem there. Like that's to say that that is burnout would be probably close to the truth, right? Definitely burnout. But you know, if the casual Nike rider gets bored and says they're burned out, 
I, I we get what they mean, but that's it, not technically. Yeah, right. I mean it might it might be, but there's there's different there's different levels for sure. Right. Um, so so Justin Ross, who did a University of Maybird not long ago, I've become a big fan of his. Um, so he defined burnout as external pressures that continue to exceed our capacity to cope with them. Interesting. So external pressures like cycling would be the external pressure there. Well, everything yeah, like it's, it's not, it's not a problem with the athlete. It's, it's what they're dealing with. And that can be like pressure from, you know, from peers, from parents, from, parents, from coaches. Yeah. Parents one. is a huge, is a huge part of that. Um, like racing but, results or like sponsorships but, even. Yeah. And, and, and perception and so forth. But, Justin, Dr. Ross was very clear to point out that it, that these pressures are external, right? You know, it's something that these, these athletes are dealing with. Um, and you know, when, when you learn about like the general adaptation syndrome and, and, and so forth with, you know, that basically what happens to us is we're training. That's a process which makes us faster and so forth. Um, you know, you have your alarm, your resistance, but then the third stage of that is, is exhaustion. And, and that's the point that if, unless you rest at that point or take a break at that point, that'll lead to burnout. And he, um, so, so Dr. Ross has, you know, he basically has three phases of burnout and the the first one is exhaustion. Um, you know, and, and we've, I think we've all kind of felt that, you know, you're just and and hopefully we all feel that at the end of a season, you're like, yeah, that was a hard season. I need some time off. I need, you know, I need a break, you know, and that's the, the, the hunger's not there for a minute. Yeah. You're done. You've totally raced out. That's, that's perfectly normal. And if you experience that, you shouldn't feel bad. That's, um, you should like, you should experience it. You should go and you really and, should and, yeah. empty you should. the tank, have a great season and then feel like taking, you should feel like taking time off. Yeah. You should, you should need recover. You should work so hard that you need a, need a break. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then the second phase of it is, is depersonalization. You know, and I, I think a lot of us. What does that mean? That is really interesting. What like de, What do you mean by depersonalization? You know the. Um, you know, I, I think that's a great term, and and I think a lot of people that like have careers and stuff can. You know, can relate. Like when you, you know, what does it mean? I'm I'm not familiar with this. I've never heard this used in this context at all. I, I think it honestly means you just don't care as much. Like it's not integral to your identity anymore. Like, what do you mean by depersonalization? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Are That's, we skipping ahead? No, 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 no. That was that was really good. But I, I kind of, I kind of take depersonalization means as you, you just, it isn't as important, and you just don't care okay. as much. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a great term, and I think it describes a lot. Um, and then the third one is is re- reduced satisfaction. So this is like in my example where you stop winning or, or you don't get on the team. You well, want to get on. well, not necessarily even like a lot of like this phase of a, a lot of times you could be d- still doing really, really well, but you think you suck at it. Like you don't think you're contributing to it or you don't think you're not, you're, you're not feeling good about it basically. Right. Yeah. Like, um, like you could still be having great results and still be doing well, but it's not making you happy. And I, and I think this is, this happens a lot of times to kids, you know, where they, you know, they might get a third instead of a second and it's just devastating. And that there's, 
you know, and, and I think too, with the reduced satisfaction is a lot of times, like, you know, maybe the reason you started the sport isn't the reason you're doing it currently, currently anymore. And so you're missing out on a lot of the rewards that, um, so this is interesting. So all of these things happen to everyone, right? Like everybody has those race results that they're bummed about. Everybody has the exhaustion that they feel. Is it is it kind of the same like when we talk about depression? Like everyone has bad days where they feel bad, but depression is a consi- is a condition where you're always feeling. Is is it kind of the same with burnout? Like you're not burned out if you feel bad about one race, but if you feel bad about your whole season, two or three seasons in a row, and you're not motivated to get out and train it, it like it used to be. Is that is it kind of the same thing where you like you don't don't rush to say, oh no, my kids burned out because they feel this because that might just be they feel this for is burnout burnout's like a longer more chronic thing, right? Well, I mean, ultimately burnout can can lead to leaving the sport, right? Which is what you're we want to avoid at all. Well, we want to avoid if we can. But like as as a classification, um, it's a longer term problem, right? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, like so. I think it's, it's more chronic, week, than, right? Yeah, it's it more takes, chronic. It takes than, a season, basically, than, right? Um, you know, but it, it's something that definitely can kind of build up over time, and and unless the necessary rest and recovery is in, you know, whatever it needs to be, the corrected isn't in place. You know, it can become more chronic and lead to eventually leaving the sport, which is, you know, we don't want that to happen. Definitely. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, there's, um, you know, I I mentioned earlier, like a lot of people kind of think that that burnout is just like, if you're bored of something, you're burned out of it. And I, I think there is a, a little bit of a distinction that should be made there. You know, I think of it as like, you know, say you have a job at like a parking lot, you're like a parking lot attendant and you're just taking people's tickets all day. Right. I mean, you're going to get bored of that. 10 minutes into it. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be, you're just going to be way bored at work, but I don't think that's the same as like an emergency room nurse that got burned out during the COVID pandemic, you know, that was working right long hours and seeing people dying, you know, and just dealing with all that, with all that stress. Um, you know, I, I think there's just kind of an obvious distinction in, in right. the severity there that could, could be made. Um, so, yeah, so, th- so the type of burnout we're really trying to avoid, or, you know, is that, that, that kind of like Joe described that, you know, top performing, ambitious athlete that, you know, at one point is being rewarded from the sport, loving the sport, and then eventually kind of falls out of love with it. And like and I said, it doesn't have to be that your race results get worse. It's just that they mean less, I guess. Ex- right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, today, you know, today I just wanted to talk about a few things that can be done to help prevent this from becoming too big of a problem that it can't be dealt with anymore. Um, we, we've talked in, you know, in our winter training podcast, we talked a lot about like cross training and multiple sports and stuff, which usually are the go-to solution to preventing burnout. We've kind of talked about those already. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk a whole lot about those today because we've talked, talked about them previously, but those are usually the go-to solutions. Um, but I do think that there's, there's more to talk about and that's kind of what I wanted to focus on today. Um, so the first one is a term that's getting tossed around more, um, but it's, it's athlete identity and, and another term is athlete identity foreclosure. I've never heard those before. Okay. This is interesting. This is new ground for me. Okay. They're cool. What, what do you think it might mean? 
Well, because I when you say athlete identity, I always I always say people like mountain biking and cycling is not a hobby for me. Like I'm I'm not a guy who loves cycling. I am a cyclist. It is in, integral to my identity. It is who I am. Right. It's and it's the it's not just that. It's the terms by which I div, I I figure out my life. Right. Like uh, there are things I would never do because of the effect that it would have on cycling. Like. And I don't, I don't mean this in a mean way. There are parts of the country I would never move to, even if you offered me a billion dollars a year, because I'm not close. I don't have trails in my backyard, right? Like there is something, it's not innate, I wasn't born with it, but there is something deep and fundamental about this sport, um, like in, in, if not in my DNA, in the DNA of my personality. Is okay. that, is that am I on the right track? You know, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely an example of a very positive cycling athletic identity um so so basically the i'm just going to read the definition here it's the degree to which a person identifies the role of an athlete and looks to others for acknowledgement of that role so you want to be recognized that's, as that's, joe is the cyclist right that's part of it too okay and you know it's interesting. I was I was actually reading um, a research paper on athletic identity today, and the the one thing that I thought was interesting is, in terms of adults, adult athletes, it can have a lot of like really good positive motivating features to it, and it actually in adults in this paper I read can actually help prevent burnout, but. In youth, it's completely different. Um, well, this is because young people don't know who they are. They don't have an identity yet. Like if you're older, you might have an identity as like, I'm a CPA who's married and has three kids and I live here and enjoy these things, right? But when you're 13, you have no idea who you are, right? You can't, you'd have a hard time describing, you know, like I'm a kid, right? Like there's not a whole, is, is that why or yeah, is well, it brain chemistry? I, I think there's, I think there's a couple of things. So. So first of all, with, with, with athlete identity, I can, I can see how there can be some, some motivating and, and I'm going to call it good reasons for it, you know, in, in terms of performance, you know, I mean, you're obviously, if, if you've identified yourself as a certain type of athlete, it's going to make you um, motivated to probably train harder, to, to dedicate more time um, and so forth. And, and, you know, and from that point, it could help improve performances but there's definitely some downsides too and um, one of the biggest ones is if you've got a really strong athletic identity and and say you just you know say like you you're the, you want to just be the best mountain biker you can so you just from the moment you wake up in the morning that's all you think about that's all you do you ride four hours a day, you lift weights, you watch GNBN, you just... You check in cycling news two, three times a day, you yeah, read every like, new article on You're PayPal. basically excluding everything else from your life right. to get ready for, say, this certain race, you know. When that race comes around, say it goes terribly, you know, your whole identity is kind of ripped up and torn apart. It's like it that that bad race result becomes an existential crisis. Yeah, it, it it I mean it basically tears apart who you are. You know, and so that's that's partly why for for a youth you got to be careful with this because um well I felt this cuz this is the way I was in high school, right? 
And then I'd, I had my really bad season, right? And that wasn't just like a bad season. It was, I'm a bad person because this is my identity. And I just failed at the core of my identity. Is that, is that kind of That's the, exactly the central issue? Here? Yeah, that really is. Um, you know, another thing with, with athletic identity too, is a lot of times, like it's kind of cool to be thought of as an athlete. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like athlete has positive connotation, right? Like that's a cool thing to be called, right? Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's important to be, you know, and especially for a youth cyclist to be known as a good athlete or a cool. Well, to be known as something, right. To like be able to attach a name, you know, like there's some kids who are academically gifted and, and, and there are some kids who are athletically gifted or artistically, right? Like having that is huge. I mean, I remember, I, that's, I'm not that far removed from that. I still feel that, you know, that like, you know, and like, that's why I like, I wanted to go around with my shaved legs at school. I was not, I wasn't embarrassed of my shaved legs and my tan lines because it was almost like having a tattoo that said, I am a cyclist. I have an identity. This is what you can know me as. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so I think a little bit of that is good and okay, because I think is, you know, I mean, this sport is very important to me and it's important to the people listening to this podcast. And, and, you know, and if you want to be the best, you know, you have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Um, and so I think some athletic identity is good, but the thing you want to avoid is what's called athletic identity foreclosure, hmm. which means you've identified, you're only wearing one hat ever. That's, that's all. And in reality, you should be like a, a child to your parents. You should be a friend to your friends. You should be a, a good partner, a, a good employee, a, a good, student, a right. good student, a you, good member of your community. Yeah. You know, you should be wearing, you know, and even, even obviously other sports and activities and interests, like you should be an artist or a singer, a songwriter, you know, there's so many different hats you could be wearing and, and athletic identity foreclosure is where you ditch all those other hats and just wear one hat ever only that's all you ever do. And that's when it becomes a big problem. And that, cause I see this in like, I love you would you. It's safe to say I am, I am a cyclist. I love this sport, right? I think I love it more than anyone else on the planet, but, but well, I no seriously. <laughs> right. But I do, I do kind of hate this sort of toxic cycling culture where like, you're like, Oh, my wife's going to be mad at me. I'm never home, you know, or like, Oh, you know, I make ridiculously bad financial decisions to buy the bike here that I want. Right. Um, I think that's probably, and the other thing I'd, I'd throw out there is that like cycling in and of itself has no value. The value in cycling is what it does for your life and what it does. Like your goal should be to have a fulfilled life where you are, um, like you said, like part of a community where you're, you're being, productive and helpful and um you know like like you should be chasing fulfillment right um i think cycling is an excellent conduit to fulfillment but in and of itself it, it does nothing you can be a horrible unfulfilled person and ride bikes five hours a day right like um i i think that as long as like you said as long as you're cycling your identity as an athlete is pushing you towards fulfillment and self-improvement it's good but if you you i think a lot of people should take stock and be like wow you know maybe living in a van at 55 and just riding bikes and having no meaningful relationships or, and stuff like that like, that's probably not helpful right no absolutely not you know um i think a good comparison to this would be just like um you know you just really don't want to have all your eggs in one basket emotionally 
you know because i always worry like if i have a a, an injury that takes me off the bike for a year i i really seriously worry what that would do for me and injury is a huge issue with people that have athletic identity foreclosure i mean if they're injured they're just they just fall apart you know um you know, and it, it's it's kind of like too, like like you know, if you're an investor, you want to like diversify your portfolio. So if one thing fails, you know, you've got other things to fall back on. I think of like like Kate Courtney. I think everyone listening to this is is an enormous Kate Courtney fan. I mean, right? She um, she got a degree from Stanford. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she and I imagine she had to wear multiple hats in that process, but she still managed to be excellent throughout all that, you know? So, um, you know, I I was thinking about it, you know, to be a really good cyclist, you know, a really good youth cyclist, um, you know, you really only need to train about five days a week for about three hours a day, you know? And that, I mean, to some people that might sound like a lot. Five days a week for three hours a day is awesome. That would make you... That's awesome. Th- that would That's make you more so... than enough to be the fastest kid in the state. Exactly. That's like you could be as fast as you ever wanted to be. Don't panic if you heard that and you're like, "I'm not doing five days." No, no yeah, I'm. I'm not either. Okay. That's yeah. But but my point is is like that's enough training to be amazing, but still, after that, the 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 time that you're not there's still a lot of time that you're not on a bike, and that's still a lot of time to wear other hats and to be, you know, you still have time to be a good student to to go to church to read books to be a good parent be a good parent you know like it to put to put work into your career and stuff like you know you still can have enough time to train enough to be fast and still have time to do something else you know it doesn't have to be eight to ten hours i mean pro riders do that they make a living doing it none of us but that is their job that's their job right you know and and pro riders aren't generally happy people I think like it's it's a crappy way to make a living I, I know that's a horse I ride all the time but yeah. and, and it's like wearing those multiple hats so this is actually interesting because we have discouraged people before parents from like don't have your kid in eight sports and have cycling be one of them like we've actually said Maybird might not be for you if this is your C or D sport right so what's the distinction between successfully wearing other hats and being a well-rounded person and maybe being too well run. You know, like the parents that have their kids that do like 10 different things. Yeah. So that's a, that's well, how a do we really draw the good. Line there? So that's a really good question. And I, I think that, that there really needs to be a healthy balance there because I have seen almost as many kids burn out from being overloaded hmm. as I have from over like, um, just over hyperly focusing on one sport. Uh, I've, I've seen like a lot of kids that just have like just too much going on. Like they're in really difficult classes at school. They're in a play, they get they're, a job. They're taking they, IB, they're taking violin lessons. You know, they do. And, the, and the thing is those kids aren't really going to burn out of cycling per se, but they're going to burn out of life. They're going to burn out of something. You right. Know? It's, it's or they'll like, never burn into something. Yeah. And, and that is too. And, and, and so there really is kind of a balance has to be struck because like I've said several times, you know, if you really want to be an inc- like incredible at the sport, you know, you really have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. There um, will have to be exclusion in your life. You know, the, and, and so Dr. Ross, one thing I like that he says is you, you know, you can't always be balanced, but sometimes you need to be flexible. Okay. 
you know that's it no that's good i get that because you you truly cannot always be balanced you know you have to be i think flexibility like a, a you could also say durable you know you have to be like resilient right because mm-hmm. yeah, like when things like injury happen if you are inflexible even if you're training enough to be the state champ that you know it might not matter right yeah and so back to your that, that is a really good question usually my recommendation is cycling should never be your only sport but it can be your favorite sport right and and so usually like during the during the cycling season i think that cycling should be your primary sport and that you can have another sport that's that's secondary that gives you or some that even supplements that cycling. you can supplement it and get, you know um, so you have a little bit of variety during the winter or during the 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 off season i don't think that cycling should be your primary sport i think it should be a secondary sport and you should be doing other sports that are complementary to cycling. Right. So, okay. You're, you're, yeah. And, and like, I think maybe just to speak to the parents who are like, I would pitch cycling as the best thing that could happen to your kid. Um, in terms of like keeping them out of trouble, putting them on, on a good track. Cause like, it seemed, I can't think of any kids who have been state champions who haven't also been great students with good, you know, futures and stuff like that. Like those things seem to go hand they, in hand. They definitely go hand in hand. And so as a parent, if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to pay attention to burnout and, and like, I mean, step one, make sure your kid burns into something, right? Make sure your kid catches fire in this. I, I would pitch as a great way to put them on the track that you'd like to see them on. And then B, make sure that that fire doesn't burn them out. Would, would like, I think, I don't even think you could not ever ride a bike. You couldn't be a cyclist, but if somebody you care about is, this might be worth, you know, paying attention to. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's athlete identity and athlete identity foreclosure. I think it's something that's good to be aware of. Um, and, and I think that it's something that you can do well and it would not negatively affect your cycling performance. Wearing other hats doesn't make you a worse cyclist. I it think really it makes you doesn't. a better cyclist. It makes you a better cyclist, yeah. Um, you know, like like doing other sports isn't going to make you a worse cyclist. Or like being interested in other things. Like I remember for a while I was like resistant to seeing things about cars on my Instagram page. I'm like, no, I'm a cyclist, right? I don't, I don't care about this, right? But now I'm like, I think you should be able to have an interesting conversation about 50 different things. Like I know people who can only talk about cycling. That is the only thing that they know anything about. And I think that sucks and probably isn't like indicative of somebody who's going to have like a long-term successful cycling career. Yeah. So just to kind of summarize this first point, um, we've mentioned this before. I really want you guys to refer to yourself, not as cyclists, but as someone that rides a bike Uh, as, as like an athlete that rides a bike. Okay. You know, um, I, th- I think that's just a good way to kind of frame that. So, and Joe, thanks for your insight on that because I think, I think you were kind of an example of yeah. what you probably. High school Joe was <laughs> such an awesome example of so many bad things. Like, not even just that, the hair, the fashion, the like, just like, I, I wish that I could have recorded every single second of my life between 15 and 19. And that I could just like have it be a self-help thing. Just like whatever this guy does, don't do that. <laughs> well, it's not that bad. You, you had your good moments too. So, But that's the point. I had my good moments. Okay. You know? So that was, that was the first one. We'll go through the rest of these a little quicker, but that is the one I did want to spend probably the most Sorry, time I, on. I have, that's, that's all my fluffy commentary for now. We'll no, no, no. I appreciate it. Um, so the second one that I think, 
that I think is important to, to help, um, to help avoid burnout. And, and some of these might be a little surprising, I think to people, but the second one is a well-guided training structure. Oh, okay. So this is, so they always say like structure helps you do things better. Like if you're going to learn a language, you need structure, right? You need to be like, I will do this 15 minutes. And, and not so much structure. I think I, I wish I could rephrase that. I would say well-guided training principles. Okay. Um, you know, it, it does seem that a lot of kids that do, that do experience burnout, you know, a lot of times they overtrain first. Right. And, you know, they might be doing some training or some, that's just unsustainable. Okay. You know, so your training principles, they need to be, first of all, sustainable. Right. And sustainable means flexible, essentially, right? Yeah. Flexible and reasonable. You okay. know, I mean, sometimes more isn't better. In fact, a lot of times more isn't better, you know. It's probably true. Um, yeah. And then... I think too, it needs to be progressive. You know, I think a lot of times if, if people don't feel like they're improving and getting better, you know, that can kind of start a, a vicious spiral into, into burnout and discouragement. Um, you know, along, along with that is just making sure that your intensity is distributed correctly. So, you know, so you're not going to deal with, with plateauing and early peaking and overtraining, which will be a whole other podcast. Another know. shout out to high school, Joe. <laughs> And, but, but I think the most important thing along this of a well-structured and well-guided training principles is, is progressive, is, is planned recovery. Okay. Um, I think that that is just critical that you, you know, when, when you lay your weeks out that you have, you know, typically it's three weeks of hard work, one week of recovery. And I think the thing with recovery, and I've, I've said this many, many times, is you need to do it before you think you need it. Okay. Kind of like they say, like you should drink before you're thirsty. I don't know if that's actually true, but I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of along those same lines. You know, you, even if you don't think you need that break, you should still take them and and they need to be planned. Cause if, if you don't plan them and if you wait to take breaks until you feel like you need them, I think it's probably too late by then. Especially for a youth athlete. I think if you've been doing this for 20 years, you can calibrate well enough to know on time. If you're a youth athlete and you have that day where you're like, I need a rest, you're in trouble, right? Like youth athletes rest too little, too late, right? I, I, and yeah. Yeah. They, I always say the youth athletes recover incredibly fast until they don't. That is so true. Because I've known so many people that are like that, that like are superhumans that are you know, I'm like wow you're literally going to be the next world champion and then the next month they do their last bike ride ever you know like it it can be pretty stark like that can it yeah yeah that planned recovery I, I just think is crucial um, right. another reason and I'll harp on this so many times do not watch the GN GCN videos where like this is what whatever professional does to train like don't ever read those articles ever 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 they are not good. I would never publish one because like no amateur cyclist will benefit by emulating a professional training schedule. No, they're professionals for a reason. And we could, the, the load that they do would just make all of us die. Basically would crush you. Yeah. You literally couldn't do it for a day because it's their job, right? Like most of those people don't have the patience to sit behind a desk anyway. You know, <laughs> it's their job and it's a job that sucks. Yeah. Okay. So number three and this might surprise you a little bit too. 
in preventing burnout. But number three is consistency. I like I I actually don't even think that's as counterintuitive as it sounds because okay. going in like like spurts of something is just it, it's never I've tried to learn four different languages on Duolingo in the past 10 years and I, I do it in spurts right and I've never actually learned a language before yeah I think consistency well so I am like my thing in life is I just love just trying to find if there's just some magic bullet out there that's going to make everyone faster and be a better cyclist. I'm, I'm just, I've just been on this hunt for 10 years. I haven't found anything, but if there is maybe a magic bullet, it's, it's gotta be consistency. That's a pretty nebulous magic bullet, Dan. I think when people think magic bullet, they think like a special kind of bean or something. I don't, I don't think that's what people mean when they say magic bullet. Like that's, the opposite of a magic bullet, no, I think. I th- but is if, it magic if they- bullet or silver bullet? Or magic beans? Magic beans. <laughs> <laughs> but consistency is is the magic bullet, the silver okay. bullet, whatever okay. metaphor about bullets or beans you want to insert there. <laughs> There's no metaphor about beans. We just Dan and I just synthesized an idiom, but okay. we'll, you know, carry on. Anyhow, you know, consistency is 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 really is it. Um so it's just so much better if, you know, if your training just kind of becomes like, like a habit, a routine, a lifestyle, you know, um, just something that you, you do and it's not that big of a, it's comforting. It feels weird when it's not there almost. Yeah, exactly. That's That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, like, like I, like even for me and, and as somebody who hasn't been like on training peaks in the past few years, there's a bike ride every day, right? Like if there's not a bike ride, it's like a weird day for me. Right. And that's fine. I think those days need to happen, but like, I don't even have to think about budgeting it into my day because it's, it's as normal as like taking a dump. Like I'm like, I'll have to do that at some point. Right. No, really, truly. I think that's it. A day that you didn't take a dump would be a weird day. Right. That's true. There is that an idiom? So far today, I think it's a weird day, but (laughs) (laughs) actually I don't know. Never mind. Let's erase that. I'm not, but anyhow, so consistency, um, and the reason I, the reason consistency to me is so important in avoiding burnout is, is it prevents the vicious cycles. And we've talked a little bit about the vicious cycles before where, you know, someone has, you know, a, like a disappointing result, which makes it so they're less motivated to train hard and is they're less motivated to train hard. The results they, get even worse. They keep getting worse and they get less and less motivated to, tra- you know, and, and by remaining consistent, it, it kind of prevents that vicious cycle from happening. Now, one thing people need to understand about consistency is in order to be consistent, you have to prioritize recovery. That n- R- Consistency doesn't mean riding every single day, no matter what. There's somebody listening to this right now who is thinking in the spirit of a young Joe Draper, I am the chosen one and I have superior willpower and I do not need to rest. And to that person, I would say you're wrong. Like you have to do this. It is not optional. That's my, that's my little soapbox on that. Because it, when I heard that as a kid, I'm like normal people do. Yeah. But I that's don't. for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That is, it's for you, arrogant little kid. Who's just like me, right? Like you have to rest too. Yeah. Yeah. In order to be consistent, you have to take your recovery seriously. So, um, it, you know, and, and, and to along the, the consistency lines, 
like a lot of times we glamorize, you know, like so-and-so did a 70 mile ride with 13,000 feet of climbing. Got four KOMs. You know, and, and honestly, that's not good training. That's like doing damage. The, the, it's like an event. It's an event. Yeah. yeah. Like the good training is the hour and a half or two that you spend on a normal day, like the running, riding. Your normal route, doing a planned workout or whatever that you will forget as soon as you finish it. Mm -hmm. That is the building blocks it, of a successful It's that stuff day. that's layered upon layered upon layers is what's going to make you awesome. And gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> so, so consistency. It, um, anything else you want to add on that? Your, yeah. your mundane rides make you the rider who you are. Your spectacular rides do not make you the rider that you are. It's the, it's the, it's the normal rides. And, and for what it's worth, that doesn't mean to do like lame, like Tate Larkin's mundane rides would be my, um, spectacular rides. Right. And frankly, my mundane rides would be spectacular for somebody who doesn't exercise. Right. It's, it, it is, it is relative. None of my rides are mundane though, but they are the most mundane rides. The places you go and the routes you plan are are spectacular in the worst ways and mundane in the worst ways. Like I am so sick of your tortoise sagebrush saga of of finding the dumbest trails in Utah and riding the heck out of them. You know, but I avoid crowds, so you do, and more and more I'm start I'm starting to age too, where I'm just yeah. like I'd rather ride a crappy empty trail than a cool full one. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's that's how I am. Um, you know, my last thing I want to say about consistency is, um, you know, as much as possible, kind of avoid the hot and cold, um, because sometimes that cold can lead to that vicious spiral and it's, know. it's hard. There, there are a lot of people that I know where it's like, you can get them on and it's great, but as soon as they take that extra little bit of, and you know what, like for some people it's unavoidable. I know that like, I am very fortunate to have my life set up in a way where I can ride my bike a lot, but like try to get your life set up in a way where you can ride your bike a lot. Because if that, that week, that week off turns into a month off, turns into a year off, turns into five years off the bike mm -hmm. for surprisingly quick Yeah, balance. Right? So this next one, I can't overemphasize the importance of it. And I know you guys have heard this so much. It probably doesn't have any meaning, but the, the next one's just having fun. Preach. Yeah. Preach. If this isn't fun, why are you doing it? Because it is painful and expensive and kind of stupid. Like you have to be having fun. And that's not just like everybody have fun. Like, I mean that very seriously and intentionally. If you are not having fun, why on earth are you doing this? You know, and the, and the thing is, if, if you're having fun, it's, so easy to get out and do it. Right. You know, if you're not having fun, it's, it's very difficult to get out and do it. On that note, parents who are trying to get your kids into cycling, you have to make it fun. Don't do interval workouts with your junior Devo kid. Probably focus on getting them to practice every time, you know, you know, and I would say one of the keys to making this fun, especially for youth riders is, is then and it's the whole magic of the Nike thing and the make it social is is make it social make it social right yeah. and and like again I'll talk to the parents again like Nike kids are good kids by and large I if you take a random sample of Nike kids versus the general population the Nike kids will be better kids you know like this is and I know I'm pitching this to people who are already in it but like if you can keep your kid hanging out with these kids they'll be fine. 
it was funny um one time my, my wife was telling joe not to do ever do drugs and joe's response was mom i didn't even eat my own birthday cake <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna do drugs eat your own birthday cake that yeah, was that was eating disorder go yeah. listen to my eating disorder episode um <laughs> no but really like no but more than that like like people would always be like don't do drugs and i'm like i don't i what when do i have time and money to do drugs i'm riding my bike all the time you know and like for me i had a friendsgiving on friday night had like 20 people that i love them to death right 80 percent of them are people i know through cycling you know like my best friends that I will care about for the rest of my life, even if I was paralyzed tonight and could never ride a bike again, would still be my friends. You know, and again, with a couple exceptions, they're good kids, right? You know, Absolutely. Um, shout out to my exceptions because you guys are the fun ones. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's, you make it social and then that, like I said, that'll, you know, push you towards the larger goal of being a fulfilled person, right? Is making it something where you meet good people and you make good connections and you know have friends who don't suck but i've i've said it so many times if you're not having fun you're doing something wrong um it's it's got to be fun or it's interval day yeah not everybody we should clarify not every bike ride will be shuttling to your valley you know or or riding through you know perfect beautiful fall colors some days you will do sweaty intervals and and also it's, as a cyclist you kind of have a distorted view of what fun is that most people wouldn't necessarily agree with. Um, I don't know if that's fun just so much as like a psychotic thing that you need sometimes, but, and this is is a whole nother episode. I know we're already over time here, but like, I don't like it when people like glorify the suffering in and of itself. Like if you really know what suffering is, you don't ever chase after it. If, if you're, if you're chasing after it, it's not actually suffering, I think. But so, but yeah, but But seriously having fun, is is the key to like it'll be easy to stay in the sport if it's always fun right and if there are things about the sport that aren't making it fun change them before it ruins the sport for you yeah um i talked too much this time i'm sorry that was no you're good i have a lot of thoughts no i'm on my last one okay sorry i'll let you finish um this this, the last one and and i kind of think that this one is probably the most important in preventing burnout um all these things we've talked about are important um but the last one is is finding your why. Okay. So so Joe, why why do you ride a bike? And I on my Strava poll, I actually asked this question today, and I won't, I'm giving Joe time to think. I'll just ramble for a second. But um, in in fact, I really want everyone to that's listening, like both of you, to um, there's a little joke there. shout out to both literally well no no we have a few listeners yeah no shout out to the guy in hungry that listens ever listens every week i'd email me please you know i'd love to chat <laughs> so carry on so anyhow i want you to take some time and think about what is your why like why is this sport important to you why do you do it you know why did you get into it why why do you do it and in fact i would like it if you share it with me you know um um you know, I mean, like shoot me a text or something. And, and I just want to start like on an, an Instagram, like those stickers you can do. The young people know what I'm talking about that everybody it's like, show a picture of yourself when you're young or like a favorite dog or whatever. Right. Like what is your why in cycling? I yeah, would and love a lot of people have been responding on my Strava poll, you know, like you can, you can do it there, but I would, I would be really interested to hear people's why. Um, I, what's your why Joe? It, well, it depends on, on like which Joe you're asking because very young Joe is just getting into it. The why was because I kind of had to. Like I was somewhat strong-armed into doing it. Not totally, right? Like there wasn't a gun to my head, but like 
I was I was highly incentivized. He was, was well bribed. I was the frosty waffle cone. Yep. Throwback, right? I don't know why Wendy's got rid of that. That was an excellent menu item. Got um, you on a bike. Yeah. No. Um. And and the, so like there there were times where my motivations came from out outside of my. There were times when my motivations, unfortunately, were like I had an eating disorder. You know. I think the, the the why for me now is is that cycling is the foundation of of my identity now. I don't know that that's a good thing. And I don't know that my relationship with cycling is totally healthy. But for me right now, like you said, it is it is not only my identity, it's like what gives me the patience to put up with my job or difficult parts of my relationship or that, you know, that connects me to being outside, you know. Um, and it's like there are a lot of things that are just fun, right? Like briefly, shallowly fun, right? Like people do drugs because they're briefly and shallowly fun. People play video games because it's fun, right? Fun is not enough to like, you know, to be a, an appropriate means in and of itself. Like cycling is a, a deep, almost spiritual thing to me that connects me to myself and my community. Is that a, is that, wow. a, is that a big enough answer for you? I think so. So Joe definitely has athlete identity foreclosure. Yeah. Yes. Again, I am never going to say that my relationship like cycling, I don't even know if it's like a toxic relationship, but it's, it's complicated. Okay. Um, well, I, I so my Dan's wife giving me is please shut up first. and I get that all the time where I'll just start talking and there's it's just kind of like a disappointed slack jawed look where he's like the words coming out of your mouth mean absolutely nothing you just like listening to your own voice shut your mouth or I'll never talk to you again so I was thinking about my why and and, and there's just like a lot of reasons um, you know one is like the first one I thought of is just like friends you know okay. I have so many friends that I just close, awesome friends that I know through cycling. I wouldn't know otherwise. You and know? that, you, like, what else would you do if you weren't riding bikes, like play ping pong? I, you know, <laughs> like it's what it's the thing you do together, right? You know that that's part of my why. Um, you know, another part of it is is like for my health. You know, I mean, I've I've said before I'm an unnatural athlete. If I if I stopped riding, I would. Thanks for the jeans, Dan. I would uh, take up a bigger chair or something. I don't know, but. But yeah, I mean, I need to do it to stay healthy. You know, I, um, I bet cycling has added at least five years to your life. Oh yeah. I mean, it's completely transforming. I was very unhealthy before I got back into it, you know, um, you know, but the more I thought about it, I think the, the main reason I love to do it is because how I feel after. That is totally a thing. Like, the, you know, I'll come parking, home the parking lot feel. Like the parking lot sun is setting feel where you just finished the ride and you're talking about the ride and the crazy thing that happened, whatever you saw in that crash you almost had or that cool line you took. Like, Yeah, there's so many times I'll like come home from work and get a snack and I'm just like not feeling it, don't want to go out, go out, go on a group ride, end up just having a blast, endorphins are pumping. I finished that just in a completely different mood. Can yeah. you remember a ride that you finished feeling bad, like you wish you hadn't gone? No, I kind of compare it to like pizza. Even if it's bad, it's still pretty good. You know, there's, you know, other than when I crashed or broke a bike, you know, there's right, never like, been. There's some pizza that's better than others, yeah, but like but, you always feel better after. You know, it, and you know? and I just love riding with youth too. I think they're so much fun. They're just so crazy and silly and. It just adds a whole new element. It's not a chore for me to ride with, with youth riders. I love it. Um, 
it's kind of a chore for me sometimes but yeah i want everyone to <laughs> you know to think about you know why they do it and 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 i think a lot of times when we're burned out it's because we kind of forget about our why and we start worrying more about because like because like, like when when i ask people their why i never hear people say oh because i want to win such and such a race or i want to be faster than so and so those aren't people's whys but they kind of become your whys later and and i think when when you, when those start becoming your whys you kind of set yourself up for for disappointment newsflash no one cares about bike races really truly it's not an nba championship no one knows very few people care if the race is your why you're you're doing it wrong because it's a stupid why <laughs> certainly no money in it you know there's no great reason to win a bike race so well you know i i think we've uh gone long enough um sorry no this was good um you know, I think, uh, you know, we've talked to a little bit about motivation and sometimes, you know, you don't always feel motivated. And, and since I've mentioned Dr. Ross so many times during this podcast, I just want to kind of end on something he's, he said that I think super profound is that, um, that commitment trumps motivation any t- any day, you know? And so, don't always feel like you have to wait till you're motivated to do something. Sometimes you just have to be committed to doing it and you nine times out of 10 won't regret it. Amen. So, all right. Good stuff. I think, I hope this is interesting. If there are specific elements of this that you'd like us to dive into, if you have any other questions, uh, as always, you know where to send them, hit me on Instagram, email me information's out there. This is interesting. This is our longest episode too. I'm not going to trim that much. We're at like 120 right now. Wow. Dang. If anybody's still listening, you're to this still at the awake. End, yeah. How about this? The password is grapefruit. If you actually listen to this far, like DM me that, and I'll <laughs> give you a high five or something. I kind of wonder if anybody will. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll uh, we'll catch you again next week. <laughs>